0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't
2: fathom it.
1: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, it is pre-hump day, uh, pre-turkey day. Pre, It's hump- pre-humpy turkey. It's that day of the week. There you got to go. We're going to figure it out. The last day of the week for a lot of us uh, working folks. Uh, here, hear uh, the blue color or white color working folks But yeah, I know a lot of you got to work on Friday and everything And I'm sorry, but it's Friday for me, so I'm feeling pretty good uh, Welcome to the program and thanks for coming in and joining us Broadcasting live around the world at michaeldukeshow.com Where you'll find the audio only live stream and so much more And of course broadcasting across the state on this, your favorite radio station And or translator, it is the Michael Duke Show Good morning, packed show today Today we are full, I mean, we've got just, we're jam-packed We're going to start off uh, in just a second, with Joe Geldhoff and Donna Ardwin, who are both in the green room right now, hanging out, waiting for us. We're about to uh, dive into it with them. We're going to talk with them about the upcoming session and what the and what the uh, <clears throat> the the whole next year is going to look like in their mind and the post election stuff. And we're just going to it's going to be a thorough rundown of everything that they uh, that they can see out there. And in hour two, we're going to do something similar with candidate Nick Baggage, who's going to be joining us and talking. Giving us a post election AAR, after action review, right? Or a debrief on what's going on. Uh, and we'll be talking with Nick Beggage in hour two on the broadcast this morning. First and foremost, let me say thank you to the friends uh, over there at Satellite West. Uh, who are, of course, uh, sponsoring the program this morning. They, uh, as always, uh, have been kind enough to provide us with sponsorship. Satellite West doesn't matter if you're at Anaktuvik or Bethel or Metlakatla or Menchumana or all the way down to Uzinki, wherever it is that you are in the state, uh, they can keep you connected anywhere in the world. Uh, whether it's, uh, text messages or checking your email or surfing the internet or just making a phone call, Satellite West are the people that you want to talk to. Satellitewest.com is where you'll find them on the internet. And of course, uh, that's, uh, they are the experts on that. So make sure that you, uh, uh, make sure that you, uh, um you know go out there and say thank you for sponsoring uh the program this morning all right well let's get things ready and dive into it we've got uh, joe geldhoff joining us this morning and donna arduin who is she's traveling uh so we won't get any pictures of her but we will get the audio from her and they both join us this morning uh to discuss things and uh so uh As soon as uh, let's start off with Joe, and as Donna will unmute herself, and we'll be good to go here. Uh, We've got them both on the program. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Well, good morning,
3: Michael. Good morning, Donna. I'm fine, thanks. From uh, Juneau, Alaska.
1: Well, appreciate you coming on board, and uh, hopefully everybody's ready for the Turkey Day stuff, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be
3: all good. uh, I I know. I've said I know Donna's ready for Thanksgiving because traditionally the Detroit Lions play on there, and she and I have a shared. Michigan background from way in the back. Oh wow! So it's it's a day to watch, you know, have Thanksgiving and watch the Lions lose. Typically,
1: <laughs> okay. Let's not let's not let's not jinx it quite yet. But yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Donna uh, is, I see she's here, but uh, uh, she's accidentally muted herself. Uh, Donna, if you want to unmute yourself, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll say we'll say hi to you as well. Donna Ardwin uh, should be joining us here in just a second, as she says that. Uh, As she uh, as she unmutes herself uh, on that, Um, Joe, let's start off with you as we wait for Donna here. Um, We're going to uh, uh, you know, we want to we want to kind of uh, we want to kind of go over everything that's happening in the you know, in this last few weeks of the of the election, kind of the disappointment and not seeing what's uh, what's going on um you know with the with the uh, choices that that were made with the the whole ballot measure with con con with the upcoming session give me some of your surface level thoughts here as we take a look at this and we'll get started
3: well i think one of the big issues here was how will our alaska electorate turn out in the ranked choice voting format and uh, it appears that there was slightly less participation. Uh, and part of that's because there it, it wasn't a presidential election year. But ranked choice voting, according to the proponents of ranked choice voting, was supposed to moderate uh, the election of officials. That is, both the super liberals and the people who are maybe on the far right wing were supposed to disappear. And that seems to have happened uh, in, in many cases. Uh, so just looking at the state House races, um the races i most closely followed were up in fairbanks uh the the race with scott kawasaki uh a a lot of us thought he was going to be really challenged and not return he in fact ran a pretty good campaign uh i particularly like scott kawasaki because he's a huge proponent of the permanent fund dividend but kawasaki won that was a a bellwether uh, race at least in my opinion the other races that were interesting to me were Uh, whether or not Kelly Merrick would make the jump from the State House into the Alaska Senate. She did, um, and that was inconsistent with the Republican Party. And I'll I'll disclose, I am a registered Republican and have been for a long time. Kelly Merrick was not the darling of the Republican Party. She made it. Um, Interestingly enough, Mike Schauer, a good, good conservative in my estimation, and somebody who's a permanent fund dividend proponent, Mike Charlotte was savage by some of the Republican establishment and made it. Um, Bert Stedman down here in Juneau is not the darling of the Republican establishment. Uh, it's perceived as a as a rhino, I guess. But Bert Stedman came in with sixty nine percent of the vote. And the big big question down in Southeast was, who are the thirty one percent of the people who voted against Uncle Bert? Uh, some other interesting races in the. Would Matt Clayman make the jump from the House Democrat? Uh, into the Senate and beat Mia Costello. He did. Um, you know, I could matter on here, but what's what's really interesting is uh, a lot of old-time dogs, including me, who have been observing the legislature for 20, 30, 40 years, uh, believe that the Senate will be constituted according to a coalition. Odds are uh, Gary Stevens, a moderate Republican, will will be the presiding officer, and there'll be an allocation of... of chairmanships, chair, chairs for R's and D's, and you'll probably up 13 uh, people, including Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. Still too hard to say what'll happen in the House, um, but it, it, it's possible there'll be another coalition. So what does that mean going forward? A lot of people on the far right are very disappointed. They're, they're yipping and yapping about, well, these are all a bunch of rhinos and, you know, we, we need to turf him out. Well, they didn't get turfed out, and there's probably going to be a coalition. Mike Dunleavy won, uh, actually fairly handily in the ranked choice voting, and that tells me Mike Dunleavy has learned a lot in four years. He was a, a credible campaigner. He had a, you know, as a messenger, Mike Dunleavy did much better than a lot of people thought. He had an okay message, and he had adequate money, and Mike Dunleavy, is going to win in the first round of the voting which is going to take place last uh, later today so right, right.
1: well I, I you know and, and i think um i i want to come back to the comment about rank choice voting how it was supposed to eliminate the left and the right the far left and the far right um because what it seems to have done is only accomplish from what i see about half of that but we'll we'll talk about that donna ardwin is with us right now good morning donna how are you doing uh-huh. Good morning. Thanks for coming on board. I appreciate you being part of it with us this morning. Uh, I know you're traveling, and I know that that's uh, difficult. Hopefully, you're over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. Are you headed for Thanksgiving travel?
2: Yes, we are, but uh, I pulled over, actually, so hopefully I won't have too much background noise.
1: Oh, okay. No, you sound great. Uh, You sound great. I appreciate you coming on board. So, Donna, your thoughts here as you look at the kind of the post election recap and everything else um what what do you see you know what what are what are your thoughts on what took place uh, on election day and you know what we're predicting right now for uh, for the upcoming session
2: You're talking about for Alaska?
1: Yeah, for Alaska specifically.
2: Yeah. Uh well, <laughs> I didn't hear what Joe said, but I'm sure it was um much more intuitive than what I might think looking from here in michigan i uh, it's a strange day to be doing this because i i believe you're going to have results today maybe tonight
1: yes 4 p.m today they're supposed to be uh doing the tabulation apparently live in a live press conference they're going to run the computer program that's going to do all the ranking after the after the fact
2: well i listened to kathy tilton on your show last week and i was very encouraged by her optimism And uh, I have heard um, Senator Shelley Hughes talk about trying to get a Republican coalition or Republican majority together. Um, But, you know, I don't know, have any insight into either of those things.
1: Uh, What are you, uh, you know, as you look at the as you look at the makeup, though, of some of the new people budget from a budgetary standpoint, do you think this is going to be good for the uh, state of Alaska budget or is this going to be more difficult? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I think the only thing that would be good is if you had solid majorities. I, when I say that, I it's the Duke's definition of conservative, right? Right. In, in both houses, which clearly isn't going to happen. So I think the more interesting thing is kind of interesting for me, just easy for me to say sitting from here, but is to see if the governor will work with, uh, Republican majority, if there's one, in you know, in one house, as opposed to the other, because it might put him in an interesting position.
1: Right, uh, Joe. Let's go back to you for a second here. Again, I just kind of the same question that I just asked Donna about, kind of the forward fiscal situation. I mean, here we are. Uh, we're, you know, continuing to spend Ever-increasing amounts of money We continue to have, uh, you know, we had a little bit Of a spike there with the Ukraine-Russia Dust-up that, uh, you know Caused uh, the oil prices to spike It gave us some more money In fact, one of the comments from uh, one of the Outgoing senators, we've got, we got more money That we know what to do with, kind of thing But here we are today, just a handful Of months later, and we're going to Be facing a deficit again, and With the makeup of the crew that's going in there It doesn't seem like there's a real appetite to reduce the size and scope of government what are your thoughts on the uh on the uh, you know on that as we move forward
3: well i think this upcoming session first of all everybody needs to understand uh, politicians they love spending money and it, it, it's just way more fun to spend money than it is to save or to cut and that's uh, i think a lot of people understand that and when they come down to Juneau, and it would be the same if the capital was in Fairbanks, they got all these needs and they want to spend, spend, spend. And it's going to be really dicey and really delicate if there's a coalition in the Senate or the House or both of them. And I think it's, we'll see, Um, but the results are looking like there's going to be an opportunity for a coalition um, in both chambers. And that means the governor is going to have to be very judicious in working with the legislature and not being heavy handed and not saying I'm going to cut, you know, five hundred million dollars. But he's got to come up with sensible, targeted cuts this year and try to look for a real reduction of at least five to six percent. And then he's got to do that for the remaining four years of his term. Uh, That's that's how I see it. Um, the governor went through that uh, you know, big thing. And, and Donna Arduin was great in proposing, that was her job when she was up here working with the governor's office, um, give me the smorgasbord of cuts. Uh, then that was implemented, not by Donna Arduin, in my view, uh, by some people who no longer in the governor's office. Um, and, and the governor realized he tried to go too far too fast. So we're going to have to have a more measured approach. Now, does that make me a a compromiser? Maybe so. But the art of the realistic is going to play out here in the next six to eight months. And and it likely means the governor is going to have to quietly cajole and even threaten. And they actually use the veto pen to come up with real reductions. And there's some real reductions. My Democratic friends are forever whining about, oh, we've cut to the bone. Not true. I, I mean, in a uh, you know, long lunch like, Republican, so you, could, you, could, come, you Republican, could come up with 200 million dollars of cuts.
1: Your that, Republican that, friends weird. have done the same thing. I mean, that's the Burt Stedman line. We've cut to the bone, we couldn't possibly cut any further. Um, I mean, that's that's not simply a Democratic thing, that's a business as usual Republican thing as well,
3: right? But the reality down here, and, and there are things that need to be looked at carefully, uh, and, and then. Cut appropriately, including the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. We have all these slush funds floating around where they've spent billions and billions of dollars on favored projects. I mean, and you know, the the Democrats are always saying we need more money for foster care or this or that. You know, their favorite charities. But the Republicans have their favorite charities, and we need rigorous analysis of what really yields good results for the public, and not just you know favored slush funds for, for this faction or that faction. But, you know, Donna can, not even without talking about Alaska per se, this is a problem all over. Donna Hardwin somebody who's worked all over the nation and has seen the same phenomenon about how difficult it is to start unwinding government and adding real value to public expenditures. But yeah. Alaska can't keep going. We can't borrow our way into prosperity. We can't spend our way into prosperity. It's going to be a combination of cuts and thoughtful spending that deliver essential services without a lot of the goofball stuff that goes on down here
1: uh donna arduin and joe geldhoff are our guests here on the michael duke show i want to get donna's take on the budgetary situation as well we'll get some details on that here in just a moment but unfortunately we are up against the commercial break so we're going to uh take it and we're going to come back We will be back with more here in just a moment. It is The Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and FM translators. And around the world at michaeldukeshow.com. We continue with Joe Gelbhoff and Donna Ardwin in just a moment.
0: What is that?
4: Common sense regularly heard on American radio.
1: Okay, we're in the commercial break right now with Donna Arduin and Joe Geldhoff, and uh, we'll get Donna's uh, hot take on this uh, here in just a minute when we return to the radio. Uh, let's make sure that she, uh, Donna, you've been able to hear everything with Joe in the last uh, last uh, last round. I have. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that you're all good to go. Um, <clears throat> Laura says, uh, do you know, Michael, where uh, what time we can watch the results? My understanding is that they're going to do it at 4 p.m. today, and it will be on a live broadcast, so I'm sure that probably KTUU will carry it. They'll probably have it on the state of Alaska's Facebook page, um, maybe the governor's office Facebook page. Um, we'll see if we can track that down, but that's my understanding is that it'll be at 4 PM, uh, this afternoon and they're going to, they're going to do it live. They're going to, they're going to push the button on the air live. So you can see all the tabulations come out and, uh, and everything else. Um, <clears throat> Joe, somebody asks what's on your hat. They want
3: to know what is the symbol on your hat? Somebody asked that. That's, uh, it's, uh, I, play from time to time on an ice hockey team down here in the rec league for the uh, Winnipeg rifles. And this is, uh, what their badge. Oh, okay. And, and I wear the Winnipeg rifles badge. They were, a, uh, you know, the Canadian army that fought in, uh, oh, they were in Manitoba, South Africa. Um, uh, they were first ashore on uh, the Normandy beaches. So oh, okay. we skate for the Winnipeg rifles. Okay. and we'll down here. All
1: right. Well, people, you know, I'm just trying to answer questions in the chat room right now. Um, as you guys were, <clears throat> KTOO at four p.m. Thank you, Terry. That was right, it wasn't KTUU. KTOO Gavel Gavel will have it at four p.m., which means you can go to KTOO.org and uh, watch it there. Um, <clears throat> uh, the initial reactions um, uh, that a lot of people felt, and Joe, I want to go back to what you were saying with, you know, the intention of rank choice voting was to try and call the far right and the far left and just get kind of a more moderate stance. Um, and while I feel my position is not that far right, uh, I just want kind of a more uh, limited uh, government and a smaller spend and a little more responsive, you know, responsiveness. I feel like that all the candidates that would be that way pretty much got the X. While on the other hand, all the pro-government candidates, the Democrats and the Kelly Merricks of the world who are pro-government spend, they seem to get the nod the whole time. So it seems like it only half of the vision of this ranked choice voting thing came true, which was it carved out all the smaller spend conservatives and let everybody else run amok on the playing field. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, I, I take your point on how you feel your candidates did, but you know, politics comes down to in my world, you know, messenger message and money. And, like we'll use Kelly Merrick. Um, p- people don't like her message or they perceive her as that, but but she in fact is a pretty good messenger, um, had at least for that district an adequate message and, and sufficient money. Um, you know, you flip to some of the other things, other races that were in play and everything. People think money's too big of a deal um, and money matters, but, but you need all three. And the real problem with my party, the Republican Party here, is bad recruitment. And like they anointed Kelly Chewbacca, who appealed to a base. Um, they, they turned their back on Lisa Murkowski. But but Kelly Chewbacca wasn't a particularly great messenger. Her message was always muddied, um, at least in Alaska. And yes, Lisa Murkowski had plenty of money, more money than Kelly Chewbacca. But you know, she has well, and friends and message.
1: friends in high places. Seven million dollars for Mitch McConnell Senate Leadership Fund. I mean, that was really about the money and appealing to the to the uh, to the moderate Democrats.
3: Right, but most of that money, you know, Mitch could and the boys could have taken that money out on a pallet and burned. You know, six point eight million dollars here. It was just wasted. I mean, you know, it went right to the recycling bin for all the flyers and everything. And you know, you still got to have a message. That resonates and you got to have a messenger who can articulate that now i'll give you a perfect example of somebody who got smoked in the money department but was a better messenger with a good message a couple years ago was donald trump i mean hillary clinton was a terrible messenger lousy message and she had gobs of money
1: all right the ding means we got to return to the radio so we're about to jump back into it. We're going to start with Donna's comments on the budget and we'll see what uh, where we go from there. The Michael Duke Show Common Sense Radio. Hello, fights on. That means round one begins. So we're just going to duke it out here. Uh, Donna Ardwin and Joe Geldhoff are our guests here on the program. Uh, We're talking about elections and fiscal situations. And I just talked to Joe about uh, what he's, his thoughts were on the upcoming session and the fiscal situation and what he thought needs to happen. Uh, Donna is the money lady. She's seen this. She's done this in different states. She's seen how hard it is to restrict the size and scope of government and provide the services and reduce the over uh, overhead uh, overall. So, Donna, as you look at the makeup of what we have right now uh, and Joe's commentary on the governor's going to need to keep this downward pressure on, we already saw what happened back in 2018. With uh, uh, what I thought was pretty minor cuts in the long run, it was about what eight nine percent, uh, and the just the hue and cry. What do you think is going to have to happen here? Or what are the governor's options uh, as we go forward?
2: Well, I want to start with um, Joe's points, if I could, and talking about other sure. governors and other legislatures. Absolutely. In my, ex- in my experience, um, y- yes, other legislatures like to spend, but I'll tell you what I can't imagine any. Legislature outside of Alaska that wouldn't want to first give the largest PFD they could to their constituents. I just—it's mind-boggling to me. Um, so normally they like that even more. The uh, the second thing is other great governors around the country are holding the line on spending. Um, they spend a lot less than Alaska does now, and they're not trying to spend more. Um, those governors and legislatures like making non-special interests more happy than special interests by having a low-cost environment and good uh, opportunities for jobs and economic growth and and you know families-owned uh, economic growth. So uh, those are a couple of things, and then the third one is we talk about cuts. What without getting too far into, you know, behind the scenes, what we proposed for Governor Dunlady wasn't to just cut things, it was policy reform. And all of my other governors have made this statement that policy should drive budgets and not the other way around. And so I would say, you know, to me, a huge mistake that we made was not having policy drive budgets. And there are plenty of great ideas in Juneau and around and around Alaska and you know just borrowing from other states as how to fix your policies. And there, there are numerous opportunities. So I hate using the word cuts because right. you reform your policies and you're going to become more efficient, more effective. I know that sounds like cliche, but I'm going to tell you what, good policy and good budgeting go hand in hand. And you reduce your costs, and more importantly you'll actually be getting something out of your government. Right. Spending spending more to not educate children, spending more not to have people graduate in four or five or six years into something that's going to give them a job from the university, uh, spending money to keep people and corporations and not-for-profits dependent upon the state is not um, spending money that's going to help your economy. You know, we've done the multiplier. Right. It actually... It actually detracts
1: from it right well and this is something that i think is very important because and i think the education example is a prime is is a prime example of that you know we heard the messaging during the uh, election cycle that oh the bsa we haven't raised it enough we haven't done this we haven't been spending money on education enough we're falling behind and so the answer is always more money but there's no policy change to enact that or to make that money spend be more productive, and it's not making sure that it's getting down into the, into the classrooms where it belongs or changing the policies to change the way we teach so that the outcomes are better. We've continually heard we need more and more and more money for education, yet we continue to be at the bottom of the barrel. That's a prime example of that, don't you? Would you agree?
2: Oh, absolutely. And not only is that money not going, you know, as you always say, it's for the kids. It's not for the kids. It's for the NEA-sponsored, bloated um, administration, administrators, um, construction industry that's charging enormous prices and keeping school partially empty buildings alive or building new ones. Um, and it's gotten worse than that. It's kind of, it's what's happening inside the classroom now. Which is sort of a pernicious vine that's just choking out, um, you know, the children, the character the parents give to their children before they leave for school.
1: Well, Donna, since you're the uh, since you're the policy guru on this stuff, and again, you've done this in many states and worked with governors and legislatures who are willing to try and fix the problem. Um, what po- what policy changes should we be looking at here in the state of Alaska that you think? these this current crop of legislators is going to listen to i mean or what again maybe even not listen to what would be your recommendations on policies that we should be changing here in the state to make it more efficient and uh, and like you said not to necessarily to use the word cuts but to to make it more efficient and, and make the money go farther
2: so um i was on a must read alaska facebook with john quick last week and i said uh two answers to that One was, you know, you don't need to look, you don't need to come up with new ideas. There's so many great ones around the country. And the book that we wrote with American Legislative Exchange Council, Alec, on grading the governors, was really to help provide a roadmap to what states are doing right and what states are doing wrong. And just say, if you just change this, you know, these things, you can get on the right track. Um, The second one was just simply do everything Florida does
1: just do everything that's it just follow florida's policies and that will solve most of the issues that you're having in the in the state that's what you're saying
2: yeah florida florida spends 1 quarter of what alaska spends on a per capita basis and they have tremendous outcomes to their programs
1: uh Joe, as you look at this, uh, I know that you're not necessarily the the money guy in this regard, but what are the I mean agreements with that, any addendums, any other policies that you think could change that uh, would make things uh, would make things better?
3: Well, I I could not agree more that policy should drive uh, budgetary considerations. And, I, and just to put a little bit of flesh on those bare bones. Um look at the Department of Commerce and Economic Development. I mean, we have all these regulated industries, you know, you, you want to cut somebody's fingernails or, you know, put fingernail polish on, you got to have a license. You want to sell real estate, you got to have a license. You want to be a lawyer, you got to have a license, although they do that through the court system. There's all these regulatory regimes that <clears throat> are basically uh, state-enforced restrictions on entry to conducting business. Um and, you know, the argument is, uh, well, it's just a little industry. It's just a little nip and a tuck here and everything. But cumulatively, those are a big drag on the economy. They, they destroy opportunity for people to enter into something where they might be really good. Right. And just because we do it in the modern day, I mean, we didn't have all these regulatory agencies, uh, Well, you know, 100 years ago. and life goes on. Occupation, into-
1: yeah, occupational licensing is nothing more than a government scheme to create more money and to control, try to control the free market. That's the thing. It's a barrier to entry, especially to those in the lower income brackets who are trying to start something new, a side hustle, or trying to better themselves. It just creates stumbling blocks for entrepreneurship. Occupational licensing is a scam in in many ways like you said I'm not talking about people who are trying to do something super technical or something like that like you said somebody who wants to cut hair or or you know clip nails or do something like that some of those things are ridiculous
3: well then you get into the big ticket items like the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority which you know if you're in power it's your favorite slush fund but we have spent billions and billions of dollars in Alaska for very substandard returns. If, for example, there was just a recent report that came out on ADA doing a 40-year look back. And if we had just taken the money that has been largely squandered in the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority and put it in the permanent fund, uh, it would have had a much better rate of return. Permanent fund dividends would have been up. Um, and And the big defense is always, well, it creates jobs. But, you know, throwing money at jobs is like throwing money at education. It, 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 it's just waste of money in large part. And the opportunity costs that come with blowing money on substandard projects or inferior education uh, is money you can never recoup. It doesn't add to your societal well-being. And it just favors a narrow slice of people. That Those kind of policies, I, I really hope Governor Dunleavy we we'll use the next four years to dig in and look on a policy driven basis and find the efficiencies that are there. Right. And, and, and then implement them. Governor Dunleavy's, his goals are not particularly bad. What he needs to do is sharpen up his implementation. Uh, and I, I would offer that with, with the greatest respect and well wishes, but he needs to pay attention to implementation. Uh, more than just battering on about, you know, we need to cut.
1: Well, you've touched on one of my favorite hot topics, which, of course, is this idea that somehow government should be out there driving job creation. And, uh, and of course, as you point out, all these boondoggles that ADIA and other uh, state-run entities have put together, they're all short-term because they fail. And so those jobs are never permanent. Donna, your thoughts on the, the role of government in creating jobs in the free market? Um, I mean, you've seen – I just heard the laugh. But you've seen this, of course from state to state to state and that's a favorite talking point for many politicians government is here to create those jobs but we know that historically any job created by government outside of the employment the own government employment base is always temporary and never seems to last very long
2: oh let's be clear the only thing that government creates is dependency (laughs)
1: <laughs> pretty DJ, much, That pretty much sums it up. Go ahead.
2: Uh, the Department of Commerce should be called the Department of Anti-Commerce in Alaska. Um, those corporations, I 1,000% agree with Joe. Um, those corporations all um, squander money. They're off books. The legislature doesn't oversee them. And we could go on and on. Um, if I was queen, they would be gone. Um, and, you know, as Joe said, the regulatory. I'd. I wouldn't even have a Department of Commerce doing those things. So just just to be blunt, government, the only thing that government does is redistribute money. And if it can do so in a small way, like in Florida, then it can, and in an efficient way, then it could get hands into parents who choose their children's education, for example. Right. We can go on and on. But creating dependency, as you both have said, Um, just actually as a negative for your economy. And therefore, Alaska spends more than other states, and it has the worst outcomes.
1: Donna Ardwin and Joe Geldhoff are our guests. We're continuing our discussion on where we go from here. We're going to continue that here in just a hot second. But we've got to uh, take a uh, take a quick break, and we will continue in just a moment. Again, with uh, Joe Geldhoff and uh, Donna Ardwin here. The Michael Duke Show coming up in Hour 2. Nick Begich will be joining us for another recap of the election and where he thinks see things going from here. We will continue in just a moment. The Michael Dukes Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. If
0: you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
1: Uh, we're in the break right now. Joe Geldhoff, Donna Ardwin, our guests. Um, and, uh, Joe, you were just talking about the governor because this is really going to be this next session, uh, in my opinion is really going to be the governor having to square off against the legislature, because as you said, the likelihood of having two coalition majorities in both chambers is pretty high right now. Um, and so he's going to have to square off on that, um, Give me kind of a critique of his last four years and what you think he needs to change in the subsequent four years to try and fight this and to be able to hold the line, so to speak, on that government spend and be able to protect things like the permanent fund and the dividend and things like that. Give us your critique and what you think he needs to change.
3: Well, Michael J. Dunleavy uh, has been at least as lucky has he's been good in, in the political arena. Um, you know, the Democrats have failed to put up really a viable candidate against him uh, for two cycles now. You know, Leske, a nice guy, but, you know, he's fixated on foster care and spending money on kids and, and stuff. Not, not a bad guy, but Mike Dunleavy kind of ran a Rose Garden campaign this time, and and it reflects the fact that he got bludgeoned uh, first go-around, Uh, when he listened to Tuckerman Babcock and disastrously proposed, you know, a huge swath of cuts uh, without communicating and without really targeting those cuts and communicating with the public as a policy level, why they were essential. Um, You know, I would argue he tried to go too far too fast without enough communication. That's always a problem if you're a cavalry soldier. Um, He's learned and what he'll do now, You know, will he continue to listen as much as he spouts off? Will he actually get staff who know how to implement things? Uh, You know, he's had two disastrous attorneys general. uh, You know, and he's on a a new one who's, you know, not particularly compelling in terms of running the legal side. Um, You know, I don't know what what's going on over at Revenue, but you know, the big three departments—Revenue Administration and the Department of Law—where you really have an opportunity to see the money in, money out, uh, because admin has a huge amount. You got to have good people in there that know what they're doing. Um, His selection of of staffing in many regards has been as bad as Frank Murkowski's, which was terrible, and as inadequate as Bill Walker's, which was lousy. Um, We'll see if he can buck that up. You know, he's finally got a Department of Natural Resources commissioner who seems to know what he's about and and could get stuff done. Um, the relations with the legislature is going to be very dicey, and and he's got to be equal parts firm hand and charming. And I, I don't know Michael Dunleavy well enough to see whether he's got the ability to both schmooze and kind of threaten uh, people in a congenial way. you know. And right. there's all kinds of techniques I've watched governors in the past use, but we'll see. Right. One thing I'll say about Dunleavy – He has a learning curve. He's not a flatline guy, Um, but we'll see what he's really made of because he's got four years to do really a reduction in government spending. And he's got to have like in real terms about with inflation, all he has to do is about 5% a year without inflating it. And you've got an effective 10% cut for four years. That's a 40% cut, but it's got to be driven by policy. And I don't know that he's up to that.
1: I think that you I think you hit the nail on the head specifically when you were talking about the communication. I think that's one thing this governor has failed at from day one is communicating not only with the legislature, but with the public uh, of what he's starting, what he needs to do and what he's trying to do and the policy changes. Donna, your thoughts on this real quick here. we got about two minutes.
2: Yeah. So um, to Joe's point about the reductions over time, um, the bigger picture is that the governor is leaving himself with the same type of deficit that he had when uh, he inherited from Walker. So, there's really not an option other than to make reductions, and I don't disagree with Joe over time. The reason that we were such terrible, well, one of the main reasons, in my opinion, we are such terrible communicators is because we didn't attach the policy changes to the budget. And it's a lot easier to communicate to people when you're reforming things and improving them than as we said before, just using the dreaded, you know, cut word. Right. Um, I will say that uh, in our defense, the governor did have a few good appointments. <laughs> um, in, adi- in addition to myself, um, Bruce Hangeman at Department of Revenue, um, Kelly Shabaka at administration, which as you know, Joe points out, those are a very, very important agency. So um, I just kind of got chuckled, but I wanted to give a shout out to Bruce and Kelly. Um, so they were terrific.
1: Yeah, no, and I and I agree, and I and I'd really like to know. Maybe we can get into this in the next segment. You know, when you we keep coming back to this thing of policy, I want to break that down for people so they understand. When you say policy, what do we mean? Um, and you know, those policy changes in some four instances, and I think we'll dive into that here in just a second. So Donna, uh, you and Joe hold the line. We're about to. Bing, rejoin, and do our thing. So let's get to it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share the show. Hit subscribe, ring the bell. Let's do it. All right, we're continuing now. with uh, Joe Geldhoff and Donna Ardwin. We're talking about the elections, the results and what it means for us moving forward in the future. Uh, Donna Ardwin, uh, former OMB director, uh, was talking with us here previously before the break about some of the, uh, you know, some of the changes in policies and things we could do and she said, "Well, let's just emulate everything is doing, because that's working. There's no sense in reinventing the wheel. And so, Donna, as we continue to talk about this uh, idea that policy should drive the budget and not the other way around, and using Florida as an example, um, so that people understand that we're just not talking about high-level, cliched words like policy, what does that mean? Give us some four instances and some examples out of Florida that we could emulate here in the state of Alaska to help drive our policy and our budgets properly.
2: Yes, I'll talk about things other than education for a, for a minute. Um, you mentioned, or I think Joe mentioned foster care during the break and it's tough in all States. What we did in Florida was instead of trying to drive the policy from the top down, we gave everyone, of course we have counties, you know, you don't have all incorporated boroughs, but just tell you what we did in Florida, every one of them, the opportunity to determine how to run their own system. And, uh, And gave them a flat rate contract instead of telling them for example and everything's about incentives by the way every policy is about incentives if you're incentivizing the wrong things you're gonna get the wrong things you have to flip them upside down so instead of incentivizing um, having kids in out-of-home care which is what happens if you pay them by the amount of kids (laughs) that are in out-of-home care right we gave we gave every county a flat rate contract and said you figure out how to do it Miami-Dade had half of the out of home population, out of home care population in the state of Florida. Um, after I left Governor Bush to go to start my consulting firm, I joined the board of uh, the not for profit that said, we're going to run, that Miami Dade decided you're going to run the uh, the contract for um, foster care. For a flat rate over seven years while I sat on the board, not asking for one more dime from the state, we cut the out of home care population in half we spent the money instead of on keeping kids and out of home care because that's how you get paid we spent the money on prevention and adoptions so that's just one you know it sounds simple but it's a it's a that's a terrible terrible thing for kids who are in that situation to face right uh, we got rid of the definition of um, you know kids that weren't adoptable so anyway there's so much that can be done um medicaid is sort of a more bureaucratic thing to talk about. Other than in Florida, it's the smallest agency because it's contracted out. You do eligibility determination. You find out if people are actually supposed to be on. You limit the amount of services they have and you make sure that they're audited. None of those things are happening in Alaska.
1: Right. Well, you mentioned something that I think is almost a dirty word in government, and that is incentivizing efficiency. I mean, I've talked uh, about it for years that we should have some kind of incentivizing of the different agencies to perform and produce the best product possible for the least amount of money and to incentivize them to do so with bonuses and other things. And people just look shocked at me like, well, we can't do that. These are government employees. Well, yeah, but if they are incentivized to do a better job and get a little bonus at the end, because they delivered the same or better services for less money that would make sense i know other states have embraced that why can't we donna
2: can i give you one more example um governor dunley when he was doing vetoes the first round he said if i veto this much out of medicaid is the agency going to be able to live with it and i said that depends on what they think they're supposed to be doing what do they believe their their outcomes that they're driving toward i believe right now they think their outcomes are supposed to be serving as many people as possible, getting as many people on state health care as possible. And I, I'm i not criticizing them for that, but that's going to cost a lot of money. If their outcome was how to get people off of dependency, then you could spend a lot less money.
1: Uh, Joe, your thoughts here on this specifically uh, on the idea that, you know, creating... Um, Creating efficiencies is in part due to self-interest in some of these agencies in places like Florida and other things by incentivizing these employees or by contracting it out, as Donna was just talking about, out to other private sector things with a flat rate. I mean, that's something we could do in Alaska. But again, I think it goes back to your point of them saying, oh, we're creating jobs. Uh, We couldn't do that. I mean, give me your thoughts on this.
3: Well, we in Alaska... Uh, and, and Donna has great experience up here. None of us should underestimate the, the difficulty in actually achieving successful reform because for 40 some years, we, 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 can't, we call, talk about a budget, we talk about an economy up here, but Alaska to a degree that is painful for someone like me is basically become an allocative uh, society we spend all the time talking about the budget and, you know, we give a little nod to policy, but mostly it's a divvy up the loot situation. And if there's a lot of loot, we divvy it up and and it's easier. And when, when things get tough, we don't know what to do. So we, we spend all of our savings. Um, We have got to break that cycle and that's a very difficult task. And it will take uh, a clear eyed leadership on the part of the executive branch to set incentives to do that. we could talk about examples and everything, but the public's frustrated, and and they should be. Uh, the public knows, in their heart of hearts and in their minds, that we spend too much for insufficient outcomes. And I I wish Michael J. Dunleavy the very best, but unless he develops policies that are reduced dependency, increase liberty, and then finds the people who will rigorously apply those policies to reduce the budget. Um, we're gonna roll along for another four years. And, you know, eventually Alaska is gonna become a, a a poor state. Uh, you know, I, I mean I'm I'm big on oil development if it pays its way. And I'll I'll kind of go back to here's the key test. And it was a Jay Hammond test. You know, people roll their eyes about Jay Hammond, but he had a two pronged test. Is he good for Alaska and does it pay its way? Now, there's a lot of room to, uh, to talk about that. But but we never seem to get the second part of Jay Hammond's test. Does it pay its own way? Right. That's a simple, simple test. And it's one that most politicians they forget about. They just somebody walks in and says, oh, let's build a road to Ambler. Oh, that's good for Alaska. Well, is it? Does it pay its own way? No. But here we are spending millions of dollars on a road to Ambler through ADA. Right. Um, and it's for a Canadian mining company. And you know, the <laughs> mineral rate of return, Clem Tillian used to laugh about the rate of return on minerals.
1: Right, um, the severance. Yeah, that that's yeah. a that's a whole show in and of itself. We're down to the last three minutes here, so we're going to start off with final thoughts. Uh, Joe, we'll actually start with you. Uh, uh, you got about a minute and a half here. Give me your final thoughts on what we, you know, what we should be doing, what we should be watching in the coming months ahead.
3: Well, today, watch the the election returns. Um, they'll be announced. I, I I I think it's pretty clear on how the ranked choice voting is going to turn out, but there's likely to be coalitions in both the House and the Senate. It's going to come down to Michael Dunleavy, hectoring, cajoling, strong arming, glad handing uh, a way to keep the budget with a 5% decrease from this year's baseline. And then he needs to do that for three consecutive years to get some meaningful downward movement. And it should be policy driven, but um, it'll, it's a new legislature and a lot of new people and there'll be a lot of chaos. But the citizens of Alaska need to keep saying, we can't spend our way into prosperity. We can't borrow our way. We need to have targeted cuts. And what's wrong with having a PFD in the Constitution so we can take that issue off the table right? and not have the annual food fight? Those are my thoughts, Michael. Nice to be on your show. I
1: think that I think that there's a reason why they don't want to talk about the PFD because they don't want to fix the problem. I think, but personally, Donna, your final thoughts here on the uh, on the upcoming session and and what we need to be focused on and and everything else.
2: Yeah, great. I'll pick up where Joe left off on not spending your way to prosperity. You also can't tax your way to prosperity, and taxing and spending are the same things. But we didn't talk about it. The worst thing that Alaska could do is adopt a California style income tax on the top 20%. I mean, when California did that, at least it was a prosperous state, but it's sinking fast. And uh, you don't need to take my word for it. Just look around other states' experiences and say, you know, that's something that we shouldn't do. And I definitely don't think you should do it. Um, if people say, well, we can hope that our PFD will be larger, no, it won't. They'll spend it on government probably what they'll do is say it's for it's for education and then more money goes to the NEA and the bloated administration
1: uh, this has been a <laughs> – I've been trying to do a, a, a self-review on this whole thing and basically decide what do we need to do different. I mean, obviously, this this whole idea of standing in the middle of the road and putting our hands up and saying, stop, the spending is not working, so what do we do? I still don't have the answer. I've We've talked about taxes. We've talked about this. We've talked about that. I wish we had – solid answers I, I wish i could figure it out but um, this is going to be an ongoing discussion i'm sure joe geldhoff and donna ardwin thank you so much both of you for being part of the program today i wish you both a very happy thanksgiving thank you for coming on board
2: you as well be here.
1: have a nice thanksgiving everybody all right hold the line for just a second folks we got more coming up including nick baggage who's going to be joining us in hour two And we're going to see exactly what uh, he has to say here in just a moment. It is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind, love one another, live well. We will see you on the other side. One final question here for Joe Geldhoff and Donna Ardwin. Um, I have been throwing the idea around here that what we need to be looking at is a broad-based flat tax. Uh, Change our stance 100% because I've been against any kind of taxes, but the only way that we seem to be able to get the people engaged is when when they're actually feeling it in the pocketbook. Uh, And they've been so... Uh, tax-adverse in this state, basically saying we shouldn't have any taxes. The government can do anything it wants as long as it doesn't institute any taxes. And my my thought is, well, what if we just reverse our course 180 degrees and say, fine, give us a broad-based flat tax, that affects everybody equally, and then we can, you know, and that will maybe give us a chance to to change some of the, the things out, and, but again, it's just me throwing ideas up against the wall. Uh, I know that uh, there's people in the chat room immediately screaming about that because there should be no new taxes. Uh, Donna, your thoughts on this uh, quickly, and then I'll get Joe's before I let you go.
2: Well, I think I've been clear about my position on income taxes, and we could talk about them for hours. but there's tremendous amount of data that shows that it's always going to be a detriment to the economy Um, an income tax shouldn't be used to pay for the pfd as i said the earnings reserve fund pays for the pfd Um, an income tax would only grow government you don't need to grow your government in alaska
1: and joe your thoughts on this as well
3: well i'm a tax of all the things that need to be addressed as part of a fiscal plan, so to speak. Taxes should be the last thing on, on the, uh, on the uh, agenda. And the first thing, in my, my view, is solve the PFD problem. I, I won't spin out a specific formula, but if you con- put the formula as a mandatory payment in the Constitution, it does two things. It, it, it takes the fight about where you come up with the money for the PFD off the table, it provides certainty. And secondly, it's a de facto spending cap, because when you allocate constitutionally a permanent fund dividend, it means less money for government. And that is, a, in practice, going to require real scrutiny of what we're spending money on, and will probably limit it. Um, if you do those two things, and then there's a consensus that you need taxes. Maybe you should look at a flat tax, but it should be the last thing you look at, the last thing you address, not the first thing. And, you know, the people who like big government, it's always the first thing. And I, I'm a modest government guy and maximize liberty and opportunity, and taxes don't do that. And and I pay them. My business pays them. You know, we pay income tax <laughs> around here, we pay sales tax, right. Um but, but don't feed the beast. We are already a bloated bureaucracy with excess government around here. And it, it goes can against what
2: this all about. Uh, yeah. Michael?
3: Donna, go ahead.
1: Go go ahead, Donna.
2: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, no, go ahead. Okay, you well, were going to add. Go the ahead. other
2: thing is this argument about... Okay, um, about skin in the game? Yes. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you. Okay,
2: so... Um, that argument is flawed in Alaska because it would only make sense if he, every man, woman, and child in Alaska was getting a $15,000 dividend every year. Yeah. You know, if all of the money from oil, as Milton Friedman said, give it to the people Right. If when uh, it started gushing. Not some small portion. And then argue from there. If it all went to people, then you could say, okay, how are we going to structure our government? How are we going to pay for it? But to say, how are we going to spend more than we're spending now? That's economically insane.
1: Yeah. Well, I've advocated for that for many years. Give people all the money that comes in and then tax them. And, of course, you'd see pitchforks and torches all the way down to Juneau if you did that because then they would be like, wait, what are we spending it on? Uh, We we are facing the largest stealth tax in the nation, uh, both on the resources and then on top of it, on top with the PFD tax as well. So, I I mean, I agree. I'm just trying to figure out some way to change the narrative, to change the ideas, to wake people up. I don't know what it is. We're going to explore them all. Uh, Donna, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you had to stop your drive, and I apologize. I appreciate you coming on board. Joe is you as well. Thank you for coming out and joining us today. Pleasure. Good show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. I appreciate you as well. And I think Donna is, uh, I think Donna has popped off there. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, I see that Nick Baggage is in the green room hanging out with us, uh, getting ready to jump on board. Let's, uh, let's test, uh, let's test it with him to see where he's at this morning. Uh, Good morning, Nick. How are you doing this morning?
4: Doing well? How are you
1: doing, Michael? Uh, we're doing good. We're uh, we're ready to dive into hour two here and get your hot take on it. So today's decision day, right? Um, and we're all hoping for a Christmas miracle, but uh, we know <clears throat> we know how that uh, we know how that goes, unfortunately. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to talking with you and uh, and uh, hopefully you have some good news and some good ideas, and we can have uh, we can have a good discussion about this. As long as you're ready, we're going to dive into this.
4: All right,
1: let's go. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, put Nick Baggage back in the green room for the moment, and we will continue. Um, this is uh, this is it. Okay, let me just check to see if there's any comments here that are worth the salt. Um, uh, they obviously fired Donna because she's much smarter than the gubernatorial team. <laughs> This is true. I think that is true. I think that uh, she obviously was getting the job done and making way too much sense, hence the reason why they uh, clipped her wings and fired her. I think that that is is it. Um, I'm just going through uh, some of the other comments here to see uh, much of it, you know, most of it in agreement with what Donna and Joe were saying. And so this is – it was a good discussion, and we'll try and have Donna back on here uh, in the near future as we get closer. Maybe after the governor's budget comes out, she can come in and give us a little bit of a rundown. And by the way, that's only that's only 20 days away. 20 days away, the governor's budget is going to have to come out, and we'll see what happens there. All right, Nick Beggage is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're going to kick things off. Here we go. Hour two is right now. Make sure you like and share, like and follow, ring the bell on YouTube, do all the youtube things, and everything else. Let's get it going on. Here we go.
0: Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out themichaeldukesshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The the Michael Dukes Show. The
1: greed and the entitlement is astounding to me.
0: What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? this is a dumpster fire that was just bs
2: it is time to get a new perspective
0: we know just what you need and we've got just the cure open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom i just
2: don't fathom it
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep,
1: across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com. And, uh, of course, that's where you'll find the audio-only live stream, links to our podcasts, and, of course, social media links to all the simulcast live streams as we broadcast the show not only on terrestrial radio, on your favorite radio station and or FM translator, but across the face of the Internet on Facebook, YouTube and twitch hour two of the big radio broadcast today happy pre-turkey day this is where hopefully you guys have all got your turkeys in your sinks this morning getting them all thawed out because you know you don't want to wait till tonight and then find out that it's frozen in the morning ask me how i know all right i'm just saying you need to go ahead and make sure that it's in a cool water bath this morning before you go to work do it don't don't forget. Uh, so Turkey Day coming up tomorrow. Great long weekend. We'll be gone until Monday. Just FYI. Again And returning hopefully from a brand new I'm redoing the studio over the weekend So hopefully we'll have a bunch of new stuff here That we can play around with and have a good time with on Monday But today our final segment Our final hour of the program We're going to be joined by Nick Baggage Candidate for U.S. Congress Who joins us this morning For what we like to call an AAR An after action review A debriefing What happened at the election Uh, Today of course at 4 p.m. They're going to run the tabulation The rank choice Voting formula. They're gonna video. They're gonna put. They're gonna turn the cameras on and push the button and watch the computer do all the work. Um, and while we're hoping for a Christmas miracle, we know that the odds are that many of our candidates, uh, including Nick and Kelly and some of these other ones, are on the precipice of getting cut to the curb uh, and not making it. And so we want to get uh, some. We want to get some insight into what they're thinking and where we go from here. So Nick Begich joins us this morning on the program, and uh, let's pull him out of the green room and say uh, good morning to him. Good morning, sir. How is uh, hey, good morning how are, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing
4: well. I'm doing well. Um, boy, it's been a uh, it's been a long year plus. Yeah, yeah, of campaigning yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, you know it's it's an amazing uh, process. Real privilege to do it um, when you have an opportunity to travel the state like I had and uh, meet so many people. Uh, from different walks of life, different areas, different industries. Um, You you gain a a true uh, perspective on the sort of long-term potential for the state and what we're really sitting on up here. And um, you know, it's amazing. It really is truly amazing how much potential Alaska has, uh, but we've got a lot of work to do. And one of the top of the list is to get the government out of the way and and let people uh, get to work.
1: Nick, let's talk a little bit here about the. Uh, as you said, you've been running for well over a year. Uh, you've been trying to uh, trying to take this. You're not the Johnny Come Lately who popped in after the uh, death of uh, of uh, uh, of Don Young, um, and so this has been a long and and arduous battle. And now we've seen the results of uh, how ranked choice voting is working and everything else. Uh give me your thoughts uh you know your just kind of your initial gut reaction thoughts here uh from what's come out over the last few days as they continue to tabulate the votes. Tell me what your thoughts are in this and the rank choice voting system uh as we uh, as we see it.
4: Yeah, not really surprised. I mean, I think what we're seeing right now in terms of uh the 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 vote totals kind of tracks with polling data that we'd seen internally and externally over the last few weeks. You know, when you talk about um, Ranked choice voting, you know, I, I'm not one who was a supporter of ranked choice voting. In fact, uh, I, I mentioned previously on your show a few weeks ago that I was uh, actually on the board of the Alaska Policy Forum, and we were working against um, the ranked choice component of the ballot measure uh, that was in place, educating people on how complicated this was going to be in practice. I think um, on the surface, it looks like it makes sense to a lot of people, but uh, when you start to factor in things like ballot exhaustion, uh, the number of candidates that can come in, the way it can be gamed um, by one side of the aisle or the other side, uh, then you start to understand that there there really are uh, some problems with this system in practice. Uh, I think one of the things that we saw in my race in particular is uh, you know when Al Gross got out of the race, it allowed uh, Mary Peltola to not really have to run. Uh, uh, the, her primary in many respects. Um, under this system of ranked choice voting, in, in, in other jurisdictions, they call it instant runoff. And you basically in theory would have two people left to center, two people right of center and they run their primaries at the same time that they're running their general elections. But if one of those people drops out, like Al Gross dropped out in the, in the special election, there's nobody left to center right. to Mary Paltola that she's got to compete with. And so it creates an imbalance in that, you know, your candidates on the right are trying to, to to run a primary during the general election, and you know the other candidate on the left doesn't really have to, to do that. And so, you know, I think when when we look at this uh, system, I think the voters, having seen it now a couple of times, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, to put an initiative forward to 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 remove this or modify it in some way that would be uh, produce a, uh, better outcomes for uh, the people outcomes that are more representative of uh, their their uh, will and, and
1: desire I think it's interesting that you uh, you talk about the the rank choice voting basically making the primary and the general happen at the same time because I think one of my complaints, um and I I ranked you uh you were you know you were at the top of my pick for the Republican ticket for sure, um but uh, one of the things that I was disappointed in was the fact that what we saw in my opinion during the general was the very stereotypical Republican response of trying to fight out a primary during a general. I think you're right. I think that the tactics were more of primary tactics than general tactics, and what I mean by that is you, your campaign and the paling campaign went after each other, hammer and tong, um, and uh you know was was and again, that's a primary tactic that needs to happen during the primary so that one candidate comes out victorious on that, and then they face off against the opposition. instead, it took place during the general. um you know, up until the last couple weeks, both of your campaigns were basically well, and really, uh, her campaign really never changed but your campaign changed a little bit in the last uh, couple three weeks but you weren't really taking the Democratic candidate to task you were going after each other and I think uh I think that that was a major mistake in hindsight looking back at that um would you do anything differently would you would you instead of uh attacking Palin would you instead have focused all your energy on uh, showing the differences between you and Mary peltola
4: well, I, I, you know, we did do that. I would say uh, in the last couple of months, we were really focused on uh, the contrast between my policy positions and Mary Peltola's policy positions. Um, the challenge was it was really difficult there at the end to get a message through the noise, right? So we had uh, a very expensive statewide Senate race. We had the governor's race and we had our race. And in, in my in my race, um, you know, we had Mary, Peltola out there with, including IE money, maybe $7 million, $8 million. And uh, that, all of that noise sort of drowned out the message. So by the time, you know, our campaign had an opportunity to, to really highlight the contrast with uh, with Mary Peltola, it was difficult to, to create a, um, enough volume, if you will. So, uh i think i think you're right though i mean i think it 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 really did boil down to you know a battle on the right and not really a battle on the left because again there was no one on the left for uh mary peltola to battle right and um you know i think that that just highlights again some of the imbalance that can be created under a ranked choice uh voting system as we have it 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 can be gamed I mean, we look forward to 2024 and start thinking about okay well how does that potentially change, I can't see the Democrats running a a compelling, strong candidate against Mary Peltola. So here again, I don't expect to see anyone on her left uh, challenging her uh, liberal policy positions.
1: Well, and so again, that comes back to the question of: I mean, should there been a change of of, uh, of strategy in the very beginning? I mean, quite honestly, the tearing of of, uh, of candidates, especially amongst the same party members, should take place in a primary, and then it should. I mean, you know, on the other side, once you hit that general window, that should be the focus, right? I mean, instead, the focus should be on the opposite side of the fence instead of eating our own. I mean, would you agree? Well, I agree. I, I you know,
4: and and. You know, I think what we, what made this a little bit different was that we had two elections in one cycle. You know, we had the special right. election, then we had the regular election, and so um, you know, we did. We pivoted, went to uh, in in our regular general to uh, Mary Peltola. And to your point, you know, we didn't see the the Palin campaign do that at all. You know, they 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 never took a shot at Mary Peltola, never attempted to contrast policies there. It was a lot of um, kumbaya you know yeah exactly <laughs> a lot of kumbaya and uh you know, i i i don't think that that helped uh our case on the conservative side of the aisle uh to to draw the contrast i think you know that uh, miss palin's campaign could have could have done more to highlight contrast uh, because there's a big difference between certainly what I believe in and, and what Mary Paltola believes. Yeah. And for people who are really watching the campaign, they would, they would have seen that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think those of us that really, again, dug into it, we understood that, but it's, unfortunately it's not the super voters that you have to worry about. It's the middle of the road, you know, uh, kind of, uh, uh Low information voters and people who are just kind of understanding what's going on or people who take all their information off the advertising instead of doing any research on their own. And unfortunately, the perception was is that you guys were just scratching the hell out of each other. And Mary was over in the corner stroking her, stroking her chin going, yes, 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 please continue. And uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, and we're going to have to get smarter about how we I mean, we may not like ranked choice voting. Uh, I know that there's efforts underway to repeal it, uh, whether or not that actually happens. It's not going to happen in the next two years if it's a citizen's initiative to repeal it. So it's going to mean, it's going to take some time. Uh, so we're going to have to learn to play by the system, even though we don't like it. We're going to have to learn how to do it. It's the rules of the game. If you want to win the game, you're going to have to play by the rules. So we're going to have to change how we do things. Um, I mean, you were talking about next cycles already and and the next election cycle. We're going to, you're going to have to change the way you do things, right? Yeah, I think,
4: I think so. I think, um, you know, for voters out there that, that, um, that are saying, Hey, look, I don't like the system. So I'm only going to rank one person that is so self-defeating because unless you believe that the remaining candidates are equivalent to one another, you really have to rank as long as we have the system that we have. And again, I'm not a supporter of it, but while it's here, we have to, we have to use it and ballot exhaustion is a real problem that is a real problem. Um, you know, when, and for those who aren't familiar with the the term ballot exhaustion, that's, that's when somebody does not, uh, rank, um, uh, more than one or maybe more than two candidates. When you you stop ranking in in the system, your, your ballot potentially will stop counting if your first place choice, or maybe your second place choice doesn't make it into the final two folks. And so, um, you know, we've got to get smarter on, on that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just part of the process as we work through this. Um, there are uh, a number of other uh, alternatives for um, tabulation under ranked choice voting. I've heard several different uh, ideas advanced in terms of how to modify this or how to uh, repeal it or how to how to sell a repeal to the public. I think there's so much conversation happening, at least on the right side of the aisle around this. I know there's probably three or four different groups that are taking a look at putting forward measures to. To repeal or modify uh, the system
1: yeah Um, I will give you kudos you at least were not advocating for bullet voting which I know is a big problem especially early on um, in your uh, in the Palin campaign was that uh, they were advocating for a simple one and done which again you may not like the system, but you got to work within it. And we've got to, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to really take the bull by the horns on that and do that. And so, kudos to you for standing with the rank the red uh, uh, theorem from the very, very beginning. Uh, Nick Begich is our guest uh, candidate for U.S. Congress. We're going to talk with him here in just a second about, uh, you know, today's tabulation, what his thoughts are on that, and where he goes from here. We're going to continue. In just a moment, don't go anywhere. It is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, We will continue our discussions with Nick Begich III right after this. Don't go anywhere. Back with more.
0: We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
1: Okay, we're in the break right now. Um, commercials are running, and we're on with... Um, um, we're on with Nick Begage. Uh, I've seen several comments in the chat room here, uh, especially after you talked about uh, Al Gross dropping out and everything else. And so the question uh, that a lot of people are asking and I, I think it's a valid question um, uh, the, not that I agree with it, but I think it's a valid question. Uh, people are asking when you saw Al Gross drop out, why didn't you uh, why didn't you consider dropping out? at that point with Palin having the name recognition and everything else and all that. So I just want to give you a chance to respond to that.
4: Yeah. It's an important question. Um, and it's a, it's a perfectly reasonable question too, for people to ask the the challenge was, um, we had access to data and there's, there was data available to the public from pollsters as well, that showed that that my getting out of the race was not going to change the outcome. If Sarah Palin were heads up with Mary Peltola, she would lose. We knew that uh, going into the special general election. We knew that in the regular election, and I think when the results come out later today, you're going to see that Sarah Palin will lose by even more than she lost previously. And this is another uh, challenge with ranked choice voting: is you've got you have a candidate that is uh, a very appealing candidate to a subgroup, but that same candidate can't appeal to the center they'll never get to 50% plus one vote necessary in order to win under ranked choice voting. So the reality was Sarah Palin was never going to be able to win this race. Um, The data showed it. It's not my opinion. It's fact. And uh, I think we're going to see that here later today um, to an even greater extent.
1: And so in your mind, um, should Palin have been the one to drop out? At that, in that, in that case, I mean, looking at those numbers and looking at the the hard facts and everything else, should they, you know, should she have been the bigger the bigger person and stood up and said, "Well, we got to find," you know, numerically, you're the you're the candidate that can beat her. Uh, should that have been the, the 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 case? Well,
4: it depends on what it depends on what you think uh, Sarah Palin's motives for being in the race in the first place are. If Sarah Palin's objective in the race was to ensure that a Republican uh, were elected to our sole. House seat, yes. If you believe that Sarah Palin was in this race for other reasons, then her behavior makes perfect sense. And, you know, I'm not quite sure any of us can crawl into the mind of Sarah Palin and try to figure out what she's thinking, how she thinks it. Um, She's sort of an enigma in many respects, Uh, hasn't really been a part of the Alaska political scene for 10 plus years and popped out of the woodwork and decided to throw her hat in the ring. And nobody really knows. Why for sure, right? But uh, if she wanted to see a Republican in the seat, um, she, she should have gotten out of the way and allowed that to happen. Um, you know, I look at the data, I'm a data guy, I have a master's degree in information technology and decision sciences. This is you know something that I understand for Sarah. She was quoted on the campaign as saying polls are for strippers, so we got very different perspectives on. Right. The relevancy of data in this case.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nick Begich is our guest uh, candidate for Congress. Um, You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of contention out there. Uh, There's a lot of uh, like you said, there's a lot of camps. Um, And I know some people don't want to hear a word against Sarah Palin um, and uh, and others, of course, question your efficacy as a conservative because, of course, your family name and everything else um but uh you know I uh, I definitely chose you over Palin uh for a variety of reasons one I believe that you're in it for the right reason and I believe that I believe your conservative credentials um and for her she just did not convince me that she was not in this uh for any other reason other than to raise the visibility of Sarah Palin in the eyes of people and in, in the eyes of the world and That's, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's just, I think that's a lot of people's take on the other side. So we'll, uh, we'll see where it lays out today. I mean, we are essentially five, six hours, uh, uh, I guess eight hours away from uh, from knowing exactly what's going to come down. We're going to find out here, though, uh, when that happens at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Nick Baggage is our guest, uh, candidate for Congress. We're going to uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, the election and where it leaves us and then what Nick's plan is moving forward from here. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now with Nick Begich, candidate for Congress. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what he is expecting to do today as he watches the numbers. Uh, I mean, again, he was just talking about how he's a, he's a numbers guy uh, in, uh, you know, the degrees in uh, uh, decision sciences and some other things. Um, and so today is the big day, and we're going to get his take on uh, what I'm deeming the possibility of a Christmas miracle that maybe from behind uh we'll we'll see what he has to say about it right now. Uh so Nick, um you know, there's I voted for you number 2, right? I mean, I'm a libertarian, so I voted for Chris by the libertarian, so my vote's going to slide on over to you this afternoon. Are there enough in your opinion votes to make a difference? Could this thing be upended? Did your uh, voters vote for rank the red and vote for Sarah second or third. I mean, what what are what are you what are you seeing here in today's count that's coming out at four o'clock this afternoon?
4: Yeah, it, that's a that's an interesting um, it's an interesting breakdown. So when when you look at the people that chose, there's kind of two camps, right? So I believe that I'll be eliminated first. Okay, after. Chris By right? Right ends Chris By then me, then Sarah, okay? And so I think what's gonna happen is if you compare uh, where my second place votes went um, from the special general election and to the regular general election. So the question is what changed between that those two elections? I think you'll see uh, fewer of my voters bullet voting. So I think that rank the red message will make an impact. Um, however, I, I do think that a lot of the people who put me first, there, and and I, I talked to them, even though I'm out here saying rank the red, even though I've said, you know, that I put Sarah Palin second on my ballot, both in the special election and the regular election, and have said, and been consistent about it for months, um, I, you know, I have a limited amount of influence over someone else's vote, right? I mean, I can't make someone go into the, ballot box and vote a particular way. I can say how I'm going to vote. I can say how I recommend conservatives vote, but at the end of the day, it's the voter's decision. And so I don't think you're going to see Christmas miracle in this race. I think you're going to see uh, Mary Paltola probably win by eight points, nine points, plus or minus two. I think that's probably the most likely outcome when everything is done later this afternoon in, in this race.
1: Uh, we saw it in the uh, we saw it in the uh, primary, uh, in the special primary. Uh, we saw that a lot of your voters, your you know, Nick Baggage number one voters, um, actually ranked Peltola uh, in the end. And the same thing happened uh, from Palin's camp as well. There was a large chunk. Why do you think that happened? And uh, do you think that it's going to be in that same kind of numerical values then that it is now, or has that changed?
4: I don't know about uh, her. You know, how many of my uh, first place votes um, end up going over to Paltola relative to uh, the previous? I mean, I think fewer people bullet vote, but I, I'm not sure that 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 proportion changes because I think people who in the prior election were saying, "Hey." I'll put Nick first, but I'm going to put Haltola second. I think um, a lot of those people are just, they're not with Palin under any circumstances. And right. I think this goes back to the point that, that I was making in the prior segment, which was, you know, when you've got a polarizing candidate, um, that candidate, sure, they're going to get through uh, the, the primary, but getting into that general, into that second place spot and then moving into first is going to be really tough. For polarizing candidates, uh, you know, like Sarah Palin, under a ranked-choice voting system, it's it's a problem. It's it's an issue with with the system. But the reality is, uh, and we knew it again in the data all the way back into the into this special election, there was no way that Sarah Palin was ever going to be able to appeal to enough people to to win this race.
1: So how important do you think it is? Uh, um, I mentioned it earlier. You mentioned it, that there are cadres of folks out there who are looking to repeal rank choice. We were hoping we were hoping that there would be some kind of legislative fix for this, but obviously many of the new players in the legislature benefited from rank choice voting, so the right. likelihood of that happening is pretty much nil at this point. So how important do you think it is that over the next couple of years that we focus on um, – on repealing ranked choice voting?
3: Well, I think it
4: is. I think it's very important. I also think, um, you know, there's one tweak to, well, there's a few different kinds of tweaks you could make to ranked choice voting, but one in particular um, would likely have solved the issue that we've been talking about this morning. And that is uh, if you were to create, um, if you were to eliminate the jungle primary component so that you had closed primaries for each party and and uh, you were able to re- remove that piece of it, what you would have then is one Democrat, one Republican, one Libertarian, one AIPer, right? right. And those folks would move forward. If you left ranked choice voting in place then, I suspect that uh, conservative folks on the right side of the aisle would benefit from that because your AIP and Libertarian votes would end up going over to a Republican most of the time. And so you'd, you'd get a better, more representative uh, outcome. But I think the biggest problem that we have is that we've got the potential to have multiple candidates from the same party in uh, the general election. And I think that would be resolved by that particular uh,
1: adjustment. One of my heart uh, heartburns uh, situations in this state has been with the Republican Party in general. I think that they have. I think that there's been a real lack of leadership from the party itself. Uh, They've allowed a lot of these things to go on, whether it's, you know, candidates that they refused to censure or things for years until it was absolutely out of control um, and everything else. How much of the blame of the things that we're seeing – and I I mean I guess I hate to say blame, but how much of a component do you think it is uh, – do the Republican Party play into this in the state of Alaska? I mean do we need – to tighten up, do we need to get stronger leadership? Do we need to take more of a stand in this?
4: Well, I think so. First, first of all, let me say that I, I think when a candidate um, is is running for a statewide office like this, the last thing you want to do is run around blaming things or blaming people or blaming the process. And I want everyone here to understand: I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't win. I take accountability for it. I'm not here to point fingers at everyone else. Okay, so this is. You know, I think that's a terrible uh, example to set for the public and it's certainly not, you know, who I strive to be. But um, regardless, uh, there were some things, um, not from the state party in this case, but the, the national uh, party, the NRCC and the RNC. So the NRCC is the uh, Congressional Committee for Republicans. Their bylaws uh, in both cases, prevent them from getting involved in races where there's two Republicans, registered Republicans running in a general election and no incumbent, which was exactly the House race. Right. And so they did very little. Uh, they only they, they only uh, advertised a rank the red message in this in the primary um, and rather the special election in the regular election. They didn't do anything. They didn't support one candidate or another. They didn't run ads against Mary Paltola. They didn't do anything at all because their bylaws prevented them from doing it. And so I had many conversations with them. I know other, others in state leadership had many conversations with them, but at the end of the day, uh, they they said, hey, our hands are tied. Well, I, you know, my response to them was, look, you're gonna see ranked choice voting across the country in other states. And now we're seeing it potentially down in, uh, in Nevada, right? I said, you got to adjust your bylaws because saying, hey, we can't participate in these races because we don't want to pick a side is not, (laughs) it makes no sense. You're going to be losing races all over the country for no reason. Well, running
1: running ads against a Democrat, if there's two Republicans in the race, but your ad is running against the Democrat, I don't see how that, it benefits both of the Republican candidates at that point. If you're running ads pointing out the bad parts of the policies of the Democrat, but not naming, you know. You know, again, if the message was rank the red, Mary Peltoll is bad for reasons A, B, and C, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't affect either right. candidate. I mean, that that makes right. sense.
4: That's exactly right. And that was my argument to them. I had many discussions uh, with them about this and, you know, just they, they wouldn't move off of their position. So uh, I think that's got to get fixed. I think that's something the national party needs to deal with. Uh, I know that the state party uh, was having those same conversations with the national folks at the RNC and the NRCC, and they weren't able to get anywhere with them either. You know, w- when you look at uh, Alaska as uh, the Alaska Republican Party relative to, say, you know, the Texas Republican Party or the Florida Republican Party, I mean, those states they have far greater resources than we have. Um, and it's strange that the national uh national party apparatus does not do more to support um the the Alaska Republican Party because while our house seat counts just as much as any other house seat our sen- our, our senators right are we have we have a very um powerful uh position in that you know to to elect a senator in the, in the state of Texas is a very expensive proposition to elect a senator in Alaska is Far less expensive, right? You know, in terms of the investment that comes in,
1: we're, and cheap, so, we're a cheap date, right? I mean, that's <laughs> that's it,
4: and you know, and it seems as though the Democrats have recognized that, the Republicans have not. When you look at some of the support that the Democrat Party has received, and I mean, look, you can go out if you're watching or you're listening right now, go out to the FEC website, and you can literally look at the Alaska Democratic Party, and their donors are people like Sam Bankman-Fried, people <laughs> like. Uh, George Soros, and I'm not kidding you. He's literally listed on the Alaska Democrat Party's uh, donor donor list this year. Right himself. I mean, you know, the the money that comes in to Alaska from outside to fund the Democrat apparatus is uh, it far exceeds that of of uh, the Republican support.
1: Uh, we're talking with Nick Baggage, candidate for Congress, uh, and of course today is the day what describe to me what you're gonna be doing this afternoon Nick
4: well I'm I am uh, I'm gonna be watching just like everybody else you know I'm I'm less cons- I know the outcome of my race you know probabilistically I I'm but I'm more concerned about, about the state house and the state Senate at this point uh, there's some races that I'll be watching really carefully uh, you know Tom McKay's race being one of them um, where I'm very uh, concerned about the potential for ballot exhaustion uh, in in some of those races, I think you could see some of the same effects um, in in a couple of house and maybe one or two senate uh, races as well. That can change the balance of of power in the state house and the state senate, and uh, it would it would come down to people not ranking. And I think that if we see that, it's going to be a real disappointment um, because we will have unnecessarily lost uh, in those bodies potentially. So
1: do you think that, I mean, that this needs to be a twofold thing as we move forward, that not only do we need to attempt to repeal rank choice voting, but in the meanwhile, we need to run an educational campaign to explain to people that if they want to win the game, they got to play by the rules that are set right now.
4: Absolutely. I, th- I think we've got, we've got a dual path it because, uh, if we're not able to get, um, rank choice modified or repealed by 2024, We're going to be right back in the same boat and folding our arms and saying we're not going to play is not going to produce any different outcome than what we're going to see this time. So we're going to have to make sure that everybody understands uh, how this works and that we're running the right candidates for the system. I mean, we got to think about that strategically. You know, who are we running? Are we running candidates that have the potential to appeal to 50 percent plus one of the voters or not? Right. Because if you don't, you, you know, that that. It doesn't matter what you do in in terms of ranking, you're not going to end up with with good outcomes. So I think candidate selection is going to be an important consideration um, moving into 2024 as well.
1: And we need to modify strategies so that we're not running primary strategies during the general election. I mean, I think that's... I think that's huge. I mean, again, I'll be honest, Nick, that's the one disappointment in this whole thing is that I think that was one of the reasons why this whole thing fell apart was because we were running primary tactics in the general election.
4: Yeah, I think so. And I well, and I think again, um, primaries being part of generals is a feature of ranked choice voting. And this ranked choice voting system, the way this one is constructed, creates that effect. The the difference is in our race. The Democrat didn't run a primary because she had no one on the left side of the aisle running against her. Yeah, yep. And and I think and I think if there's a takeaway from this race, it's that if you see that there is no one, if that there's not at least two candidates uh, left of center in a race then you really can't afford to run a, a combative primary-style general election on the right.
1: Yeah. Nick Begich is our guest. One final segment dead ahead. Uh, we're going to find out where we go from here. That's going to be the next uh, the next segment. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Nick the Third continues with us in just a moment.
3: Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. All
1: right, Nick Baggage, uh, our guest here on the program. Um, I really think Nick, um, and I know that there's a lot of commentary in the chat room here. That there's people who are upset and everything else. And, and uh, okay, that's fine. But I think we have to have an honest after action review of what took place uh we have to be honest and i mean i appreciate the fact that you said you know you're responsible for your own failure great i mean we understand that the question is how do we improve and and i think if we don't have these hard conversations of what went wrong we'll never fix you know what what happened moving forward we've got to fix it um i think that one of the primary reasons and, and I, this is from the very beginning, quite honestly, um, after the after the initial special uh, special primary. Uh, and I'm talking about before we got to the general generals, I'm talking about to fill the seat in the in the temporary interim. I think that that was the biggest mistake of all was treating, you know, moving forward after that. After the primary was treating it as if, again, we're still in the primary and the continual clawing. And uh, I mean, pay. Pay- Palin can be an easy target in a, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, all you have to do is say quitter, and half the people in the state go, yeah, 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 and they're upset about it. But I think that that was looking from the outside looking in. I think that was the biggest mistake your campaign made from the very beginning because all you had to do even before Gross got out, but all you had to do was was focus on the differences between you and Mary and say, I'm 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 on the right and Mary's wrong on this. I'm on the right. Mary's wrong on this. I'm on the right. Mary's wrong on this. And you know what? Rank the red. Uh, And if you don't vote for me, vote for somebody else that's 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 wearing the red shirt or whatever. I mean, that would have been I think that that would have been uh, better for more Alaskans in the long run. I think they would have resonated with that message. We've seen it in the state. People, they do not resonate in the state with the kind of the negative attack dog campaignings. I think Mitch McConnell did nothing more than piss a lot of people off. He, he could have burned the $7 million and, and it wouldn't have mattered because people get angry about that. What, what do you say?
4: Well, I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree. I think, Okay. I think, um, you know, but, but I will say this when, when, when the, when the fog is clear and you're able to look back, like we're doing right now, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to see what you might've done differently because what you, what you did didn't produce the outcome you are hoping for, but try being in the middle of the race, right? When you're, this is the first time sure. we've ever seen ranked choice voting in an open primary system combined sure. in the nation. Right. And we did, you know, we're, we're doing this in an environment where we had 51 then down to 48 candidates in a race. And you're trying to say, okay, how do we break through the noise and get to the final four and then have a policy discussion? And um, that was very difficult. I think it was very difficult for a lot of the candidates. I mean, you look at all the candidates that we went through uh, to get there. And, um, you know, I think, again, I I think that the the challenge that we had in our race was, I mean, look, if you want to go through the list of challenges, we can do it. We can say, look, Don died, right? right. Don died. 50 candidates in a race. Uh Sarah Palin gets in with 30 minutes left to the filing deadline. Donald Trump endorses her, flies to Alaska, does a rally for her. Uh, First time we've ever seen anything like that in the state's history. Um, You know, Mary Peltola squeaks it out and then gets uh, supported by Luke Skywalker and in 48 hours raises $2 million, which is more money than Sarah Palin or I raised combined. The entire campaign. I mean, right. you can go through the lit the litany of right. all these structural issues that came into the campaign, and I don't think that there's anything that I could have done differently to produce a different outcome.
1: So you don't think that, uh, again, I understand when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see, but in hindsight, you can go back and, and look at it. So you're saying that if you had changed the tact from right out of the primary, I mean, you did the primary stuff that you needed to do, but once the general started... You did what I just talked about. You just primarily focused on Peltola and hammered on Peltola the whole time, and put the message of rank the red out at the end. You don't think that there would have been any difference in the outcome?
4: I really don't. I don't think there would have been a difference in this particular race. Now, if if Palin's not in this race, I think the race is completely different. The character of the race changes completely. People have talked to me since even before the the the, the special primary right and they've said what's the strategy on ranked choice voting and i i've told them for over a year it depends on who the final four people are it's completely dependent on that yeah you know you look at you look at um the senate race right you had uh you had lv gray jackson got in then she got out right and then they put pat chesbro in and pat chesbro never had had the funding never was uh sufficiently up to speed on the issues to present a compelling case for the democrats and so those democrat first place votes went over to lisa murkowski right if you have a if you had a compelling um well-funded candidate on the left i think lisa murkowski's in trouble in that race a lot more trouble than she is right now right and this is Yeah, and so it really depends on who's in the race, and it it, it kind of dictates strategy from from there on the right right. choice.
1: We got to jump back in here. Nick Baggage is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. All right, welcome back to the program. Nick Begich is our guest, candidate for Congress. And so the question be, uh, becomes at this point, and I think, again, statistically and numerically, uh, Nick is, is doesn't have a chance of, of uh, pulling it out here today. So that leads to the next question of, all right, Nick, you've thrown your hat into the ring on the big stage, so to speak, the big stage, and uh, <laughs> you didn't quite make it. Uh, so the question is, what does Nick baggage do now um, do you uh, re you know do you reset do you you drop back do you go down to a lower level do you go to the a state race do you do something locally or are you going to stay engaged at this national level and will we be seeing Nick baggage in the future
4: I think you're I think you're gonna see me in the future you know the questions always when for what you know and um, that that's something that I'm working through with my team right now watching sort of the structural, I'll call it the macro political environment for 2024 as it sets up. You know, you've got Trump who's just declared, uh, we're gonna see what happens with him. You've got DeSantis who, you know, I, I really like, I think he's got a lot of potential, but he has not declared for the presidency yet. I think that's gonna dictate a lot of what happens, not just in Alaska, but across the nation in um, primaries and general elections, because I think you're gonna have potentially, potentially Trump candidates and DeSantis candidates, right? And how that kind of shakes out will dictate a lot of a lot of factors. We talked um, briefly in the last segment about some of the some of the large structural factors that that dictated a lot, in my view, a lot of the outcomes of what happened in in my race and sort of uh, probably the Senate race as well um, in Alaska. And so you got to take those things into account. How much money does Mary Tola have on hand? Right, is right. an important question. Right. Um, you know, but it's but it's been my contention for a long time that. The the real value that's created in society is not created through government. It's created through private industry. That's where I spent my career on the private side. And I've been successful. I do well there. I'll continue to create value there. And um, so, you know, I think there are a lot of ways that you can add value. I think for the people of Alaska, though, uh, the biggest obstacle that we have to creating value in the private sector is a government that's gotten too big and gotten in the way of our ability to create value from the resources we have in the state. And so there are things that I can do that will help uh, alleviate that that's that's not in the Congress, then I'll look for those opportunities uh, as well. So um, we'll see where I go over the next couple of years, but I am definitely uh, still evaluating this. And and I think that um, you know that the, the vision for Alaska remains uh, the same. We've got we've got to take this state uh, to a place over the next 20 and 30 years where we know that we're going to have an important role in our nation's resource future, and the resources of Alaska haven't gone anywhere. They're still on the ground. They're still waiting to be accessed, um, and that's that's not going to change tomorrow. It's not going to change 100 years from now unless. We get the right leadership in place, uh, again, to get government out of the way and allow us to to develop what we've got.
1: In the short term here, let's say the next two or three years, what do you see being the biggest challenges that this election, you know, what are the consequences of this election um, on the state and on the nation? Since we're talking about the national stage, you know, what are the consequences and what are you, you know, what are you going to be keeping an eye on?
4: Yeah, I think you know for Alaska, it's we, it's a missed opportunity in in the House because now uh, we see that we're you know going to be in the in the the minority, represented by Mary Peltola in the House minority. So we don't really have much of a voice uh, there at the moment because of that. Um, I think that at the, at the state level, when you look at the state Senate and the state House composition, um, that is. Concerning, but we still have a we still have a governor uh, with veto power and the ability to uh, push back against maybe a maybe a center left um, on balance uh, House and Senate, right? And so you know if the, if the governor um, is ready to use that veto pen, I mean I think we'll we'll still have a check on uh, what could end up being um, a less than conservative. Uh, House and Senate composition. We'll see here later today uh, how that shakes out. But uh, I don't think that things are hopeless. But I do think if if you're someone who's in the center center right, I, uh, you know, we've got to get activated and mobilized and prepared for 2024. Don't assume that we're going to be able to get rid of ranked choice voting before then. I think you know we're all hopeful that we can, but. To, to hang our hopes on the future of Alaska on whether or not we can get rid of ranked choice voting, I think is naive and wishful in its, in its approach. I think we've got to just, we've got to deal with reality the way that it is and uh, prepare, look ahead for the next few years and prepare for those elections. Find good candidates, make sure we're funding those candidates, make sure those candidates have, the, have policy, policy positions that resonate um, with not just the right side of the aisle, but people in the center, that's important. Um, And if we can do that, we'll win back some of these seats and we'll be in a far better position as a state going forward, in my view.
1: Well, that's been my argument for a long time. There are more independents in this state than there are Republicans and Democrats uh, combined. Uh, You know, we should be reaching into the middle. And even though maybe it doesn't uh, align with our principles or policies, we should at least reach out to them and explain why what's going on and at least have that conversation. Because that's the important part that's the electorate that we need to to focus on um, any big issues in the national scene that uh, you are not depressed about but are uh, I guess are worried about for the next two years uh, that uh, well, it, that you know are important
4: a- yeah absolutely I mean I think the biggest the biggest issue we've got to wrestle with right now is our national debt national uh, spending um, I think that that is really starting to become a, a significant threat to uh the american way of life and our standard of living and i think it's again i think it's naive to believe that we can continue to print money and spend money as though there's there's no consequence to that there is a consequence it it, it usually shows up uh, rapidly once it starts to materialize and you can see it in other nations we've talked about it on the show before you can see it in venezuela and zimbabwe you can you can see it even today in uh, Japan, where the yen has lost somewhere close to, uh, I think, a third of its value relative to the dollar in the last year, right? And and why did that happen? It it happened because uh, the Japanese government has continued uh, a course of uh, deficit spending and heavy Federal Reserve Bank intervention, central bank intervention for the Bank of Japan. And we're following down that path right now. The Congressional Budget Office is showing that uh, that our uh, debt path is unsustainable. And as interest rates rise, we continue to refinance that debt, right? That debt, that US debt is not financed under one fixed rate forever. It's it's right. It fluctuates based on the prevailing interest rates that are interestingly enough set by the Fed. And so uh, what we're gonna see is that as a percentage of total tax revenue, a larger and larger percentage of our taxes Are going to go to servicing debt meaning we're just paying interest right on that on that debt instead of getting you know arguably uh valuable or invaluable goods and services from the government right and so what does that mean well it means that you're either going to get less or you're going to be taxed more and neither one of those things are, are good and so um that's the biggest concern that i have is getting government back in its lane uh getting government spending back under control and bringing those interest rates down i mean you know the interest rates are not just they don't just impact government they impact uh individual consumers as well and you're seeing credit card debt and uh mortgage debt and auto loan debt at levels we haven't seen in 20 years they're rising super fast right because people are burning down their savings they're they're accessing the debt markets and that has a limit and then when that limit hits we're going to hit we're going to hit a hard recession i believe we're in a recession now but uh, we'll be in a, re- in a recession, the style of which even the government can't ignore. And um, that's a problem. That's what concerns
1: me. Uh, down to the last less than two minutes here, uh, Nick. Uh, final thoughts for the voters and for people out there. You know, what should they be watching? What should they be doing? Your exhortation to them. Uh, go.
4: 2024 starts today. If you don't like the results that you see at 4 o'clock today, don't throw your hands up. Put your, put your hands down and get involved, right? Figure out a way to get engaged. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of folks out there that maybe you're a libertarian, maybe you're a Republican, maybe you're an independent who's just disillusioned and tired of, of party politics. But the reality is that candidates almost always run under the Republican banner or the libertarian banner or any of these other banners. You, you know where you align most, get involved. Try to find candidates that are gonna be good. Try to fund candidates that are gonna do well. You know. You can't sit back and complain it's amazing I I hear people on the trail I say well you know I'm upset with this or that have you ever donated to a candidate never right have you ever gotten involved in a campaign no well you know it's amazing how much time people will spend complaining and how little time they'll spend getting involved uh, with their time or their dollars and so if you're upset put your money where your mouth is and get involved
1: Nick Baggage the Third, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on board and talking with us today. It was an interesting conversation. We appreciate it, folks. We are out of time for today. We will see you next Monday. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, and remember, be kind, love one another, and live well. We'll see you tomorrow or see you Monday, Nick. I'll give you one final bite at the apple. A uh, couple minutes here, whatever whatever you you need um because again i think it's a message that we have to start thinking more long term we have to start thinking big picture we have to start thinking that we have to work within the framework we're given whether we like the framework or not so your final final your final final thoughts
4: my final 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 um look i you know i i don't want to close on a negative note going into thanksgiving i think we got a lot to be thankful for as alaskans and as americans and uh know we have to put things in perspective i've traveled all over the world i've been to a lot of a lot of countries probably 35 countries in my life and i've seen some places boy they you you get off the plane you go outside you see how people live and you're instantly thankful for what you've got as an american and we do we have abundance in this country we have abundance in this country and i want to i want to keep it I want to keep it right and I want to extend that kind of abundance to as many people as possible. Right. right? And I think, I think that that is one of the main differences between sort of the way the left thinks about the world and the right thinks about the world. The left kind of tends to think that everything's a fixed pie. And if you have it, I don't, well, I believe that, you know, when we engage with people, when we engage with the free market, when we create value, uh, in meaningful ways, we can all succeed and we can all participate in that success. And so, um, you know, I think there's a prosperity that we enjoy as Americans that we should be thankful for. Thank God that we've got it, and and thank God that we have the opportunity in this country to go from nothing to something amazing just by putting forward the effort. Right, and uh, we can do that. Everyone in this country has the potential to achieve greatness if that's their if that's their true intent.
1: Nick Baggage. Um... Have a happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for reminding us that uh, we need to be thankful for what we have. I mean, uh, you got a 1 in 17 chance, or maybe now it's 18 chance, of uh, being born in the United States and uh, being able to benefit from what uh, what our forefathers have done and, and everything else. And so it's a good opportunity, and it is a good time to be thankful. So I appreciate that. Thank you for, uh, thank you for sounding off and I hope you and yours have a very happy Thanksgiving and uh, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll regroup uh, later in December and talk with you a little bit about where we're going from here.
4: Look forward to it. Thanks, Michael. All right. Thanks
1: everybody. Thank you so much. Nick baggage, our guest here on the Michael Duke show. Um, All right, folks Uh, that, uh, that sums it up. That's, that's it for today. That's it for the weekend. See now I'm going to start tearing stuff apart. The second I turn everything off here, we're going to start ripping the studio out, and hopefully by Monday, we'll have all the new good stuff in here. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. I mean, you may not even notice a difference, but I will. So I appreciate you guys coming on board. Thank you for being part of my world here during the program, and uh, thank you for participating. All right, folks, 4 p.m. today, KTOO.org. You can watch the results, and you can see how it all works out. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Happy Turkey Day. We will see you on Monday.